Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, educate, teach. Put this in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When I was a teenager, I sold ice cream at the vet, the old Philadelphia Philly Stadium. You have to get people's attention when you're selling a product that melts. So I always burst through the gate with a robust war cry. Who's next for ice cream? I bring this up because when President Trump unilaterally decided to hit Mexico with a big tariff in 10 days, make them close the border, all I could think was, who's next for ice cream? That's why the market got poleaxed today. Who's next for punishment? With the Dow plunging 355 points, S&P plummeting 1.32%, and the NASDAQ nosediving 1.51%. Who's next for tariffs? As someone who's generally been supportive of the president's hardline position against China, I feel like I need to draw a line in the sand here. If you want a strong economy and higher stock prices, which is what I favor, the last thing you need is a president who bursts through Twitter shouting out, who's next for punishment? I say this as someone who thinks there's a time and a place for tariffs. I've been critical of our nation's trade policy for ages, through all the time I've been on CNBC for all these years. Our old policy was simple and stupid. We'll sacrifice any part of our workforce for higher corporate earnings. But even if tariffs on Mexico were a good idea, and I don't think they are, this is not the way to do it. You can't conduct negotiations out of left field via tweet. So when Trump goes after the Mexican government, which has already made a bunch of concessions in the NAFTA renegotiations, it makes investors nervous. It makes them want to sell no matter what. And I'm not in favor sell, sell, of that. Sell, 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 I'm not ruled by the market, but I can tell when something's stupid. It feels like there's no plan, like anything could happen. And that's a bad feeling because the market hates uncertainty. And you knew this market was going down the moment you saw this. So let me start my game plan with a simple admonition. Who's next for tariffs? Sadly, that's not a rhetorical question. With that in mind, we can focus on individual companies. This weekend, there is a huge conference. Gigantic. It's called the American Society of Clinical Oncology. They always call it ASCO on Wall Street, where companies present their latest groundbreaking cancer treatments. This year, ASCO is incredibly important for one particular company called Amgen, which is why they're throwing their own analyst meeting at the conference. I think this could be make or break for Amgen stock, frankly, which has been a huge disappointment of late, as the company hasn't been able to meet its own projections or announce new breakthroughs. If they don't come up with something novel at the conference, then I expect more pain, if you can imagine, for the stock, which has become a little bit like Allergan. We own a bit of Amgen from my travel trust, which you can follow along at actionlearnersplus.com. But I've been telling the club it's a bad position. Uh, can they turn things around? We'll see, but they must. Speaking of disappointment, Box reports on Monday night. This cloud-based storage company fumbled the last quarter. This whole industry has become more problematic, and Box's growth path feels increasingly 
cloudy. Right now, the stock's in the penalty box, but maybe CEO Aaron, Aaron Levy can change that. Until then, too risky to own, too risky to own. Tuesday morning, we hear from Tiffany. Like many retailers, the stock's become a real battleground. On the one hand, Tiffany's much better run than it used to be. On the other hand, they're hostage to the strong dollar, which acts as a kind of a tariff on U.S. exports by making dollar-denominated products more expensive, which the president understood that. He could talk about that more. While I like Tiffany's comeback story, this is not the kind of stock you want to own when people are worried about a slowing economy and wealthy people staying home and not spending. Then there's Salesforce. Cloud-based software stocks have been swooning here. We only we have one octave on tonight that didn't go down, but almost everything else has. It's one of those cells that takes down the good with the bad. Uh, we're going to listen to Zscaler. That had a fantastic quarter, and that got pummeled. Well, actually, you know, I got to tell you, most of these companies reported good quarters. Uh, but even though the market loved Okta, it punished Zscaler. And if you look between them, uh, you would not understand why one got sold, one got bought. So you got to wonder if Cisco, I'm sorry, if Salesforce, will this be loved or hated? I don't even know myself. Carol Trust owns it. It's been known for years. I don't even know. This has been the bellwether for the software as a service industry. However, the patterns become well-established. Salesforce tends to go down after reports, no matter how good the quarters are, and then it rallies for weeks on end. So given we've identified that pattern, I think you, that you don't buy the stock until post-earnings. Okay? That could be an opportunity. Also on Tuesday, CVS, the drugstore chain, not the, not the network, CVS Health holds its analyst day. And this stock is as down and out as it gets. Right now, CVS reflects the worst of all worlds. Amazon's eviscerating the front end of the store, and everyone's terrified that their Aetna managed care business could be destroyed if one of the more left-wing Democrats wins the nomination and takes the White House. We spoke to Larry Malo on our show. He's the CEO not that long ago, and he gave us a pretty good outlook. If he does the same, if he delivers on what he talked about when he was on our show, then this stock could be a coiled spring. Given that it's been cut in half over the past four years, and it now sports an incredibly big 3.8% yield, watch that stock. That may actually be a buy ahead of that analyst meeting if he does exactly what he said on our show. We get, two, we get results from two story companies on Wednesday. We get Campbell's Soup, okay, and we get Brown Foreman. You know that distiller, right? Campbell's restructuring play, and I'll be paying close attention to what new CEO Mark Klaus, late of Pinnacle Foods, has to say. I think the story's turning positive, although I'd like to see some serious debt pay down next. How about Brown Foreman, the liquor company best known for his Jack Daniels? This one's all about the tariffs. When you're in a trade war, Tennessee whiskey is the kind of thing that's easy for the rest of the world to retaliate against. Ever since President Trump rolled out his steel and aluminum tariffs last year, Brown Foreman's stock's been the victim of new trade barriers. I say drink, don't buy Jack Daniels. Next up, not long ago, J.M. Smucker was considered the black sheep of the packaged food space. But the last few quarters have been pretty strong. Maybe too strong because the stock's moved up so much. I wish the stock hadn't run up so much going into the quarter because it will be hard for Smucker to rally even if they deliver a good number on Thursday morning. So don't take your cue from the stock if it gets hurt. All right, how about some recent IPOs? We get results from Zoom Video, holy cow, and Beyond Meat next Thursday after the close. These are two of the best performers from the class of 2019, and it's hard to imagine them having much more upside, although this Beyond Meat has got such a short squeeze going on. Let me put it this way. These companies will need to report unbelievable numbers to keep the spell going. I think that's unlikely, as Cisco, C-I-S-C-O, kinds coming after Zoom with both barrels, although I admit it is a good company, and Beyond Meat's going up against the privately held impossible, not to mention Nestle. Remember when Nestle brought on those, those burgers? I say you should take some profits in both of them. Finally, on Friday, we get an extra important non-farm payroll report. Given that interest rates have plummeted of late, we're going to find out if it's because of a slower 
economy? Suddenly slower. Or if there's just been a huge fight to quality in the bond market. And the fight to quality trade is what I'm betting on. Here's how I see it. We've been in a brutal downturn for a while now. But if we get a good employment number, it could give us a newfound sense of confidence. Remember that? That the world isn't ending. If we get a strong jobs figure and the president gives us a sign that he'll chill out with this tariff stuff, we could get a huge bounce. But any deceleration in jobs growth will cause a panic. Unless the Fed is somehow able to communicate that they're watching these numbers like a hawk and will cut rates if they need to, I've got a simple solution for the Fed. Roll back that last rate hike. We didn't need it. Dump your long-term bond holdings. We need that. Dumping is good. That said, I don't expect the Fed to provide any solace, so a strong jobs number with low inflation is probably the best we can hope for. Bottom line, in an era where all that matters is who's next for punishment, who's next for punishment, we need to be very cautious. Unless we get some sort of game-changing data that shifts the whole narrative, where we get so oversold and we are getting that way that we bounce even on so-so news. Larry in Florida. Larry. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. My question is on uh, Zura, uh, symbol Z-U-O. And unfortunately, the stock was down over 30% today. They announced their first quarter earnings um, after the close yesterday, and they had to lower their earnings guidance looking forward, mainly because their sales execution needs a total, uh, total revamping. So my question is, I guess, with the subscription business they're in, is it really as good as it is? And is the CEO, Mr. Zoe, a little bit too enthusiastic about it, or is the company just not prepared at these Larry, levels? Larry, I got to tell you. I spent a lot of last night that I, when I wasn't thinking about Mexico, thinking about just that question that you asked. I, I come back and, and say the team so may have been too enthusiastic. What I didn't really like about it was that there was a lot of chatter about how they had to right the ship. Well, Larry, I didn't even know the ship was going badly. Now, maybe I've just been too bullish on it, which is obviously the case. But no, I, I, I think that over-promise and under-deliver is what I think happened here. All right, all that matters now is who's next for punishment? Tread cautiously because of our president and his tweets. On my money tonight, even on a hideous today like today, and it was hideous, there are still some bright spots in this market, so don't miss my exclusive an octa after its move higher today. Then what the heck is Trump thinking with this trade policy with Mexico? I gotta break it down, reluctantly so. And Zscaler just reported a knockout quarter, but the stock got knocked out anyway. I'm going to sit down with the CEO, break down the numbers, find out what the heck's going on. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Jeans, they're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. And in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. (laughs) 
Here's the one of the great ones of this era. Even on a hideous day like today, there are going to be some bright spots, and we've got one. Look at Okta, the cloud-based cybersecurity company. It helps businesses handle your login and verification credentials. Last night, Okta reported a blowout quarter with a smaller than expected loss, higher than anticipated sales, up 50% year over year. Man, we got the hot ones going this. Even better, management's guidance was incredibly bullish for both the next quarter and the full fiscal year. We've seen a lot of cloud-based enterprise software companies report great quarters, only to see their stocks get hammered. That sure didn't happen here. Okta actually rallied 6%. You know, I think it would have been up about 10% if the market were so lousy. Let's check in with Todd McKinnon, the co-founder and chairman and CEO of Okta, to learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. McKinnon, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. It's great to be back. Boy, Todd, I got to tell you, what a quarter. And I still can't believe that there are companies that don't use you as the kind of way, the kind of thing. What is, how, many, how many people are you protecting right now? I want people to know how big you really are. Well, we have 6,550 happy customers across the entire globe. And so we're, we come to work every day making sure we make them secure and make them successful and help them adopt cloud and transform their businesses. Well, one of them is MLB, Major League Baseball, which we all love. So please tell us what you do for them. We do a couple very important things for uh, MLB. The first is that we help their employees log into their applications they need to be productive at work securely and with a very uh, positive, simple user experience. The second thing, which is more recent, is we are the login system and the security layer for MLB.com. So if you're logging in and streaming those baseball games, you're logging in through Okta to get to MLB.com. Um, and it's really helpful for them because th- they can take their uh, awesome developer and engineering talent and focus it on building core parts of that application and that experience versus the security parts that we can do better. Well, I was, I was, one of the, I was probably maybe the number five subscriber at MLB.com because the guy who set it up was a buddy of mine. I absolutely love it. And it is seamless. I'm glad to know that you're behind the seamlessness. Uh, Zoom reports next week. It's one of the hottest stories ever, okay? I'm not even sure why it could be this hot, but I sure realize that if someone were to hack me when I was in Zoom, it could really cause a lot of damage to my reputation, couldn't it? Zoom is a great company, yeah, and they another talk about another great product experience. They've kind of revolutionized um, a market a lot of people thought was really entrenched with a lot of competitors, and they came out with a better product, and it's the results are kind of speaking for themselves. We have uh, employees, uh, one cat, I'll just mention because she was so great today. She goes to Seton Hall for business school, and they give her Okta. Now, is this something new yeah. that you get Okta from an institution? Well, it's what, what we're seeing in our business, and it's really driving these results you're seeing, is that every organization from uh, you know sports league like MLB.com to a university like Seton Hall to the largest enterprises in the world, financial institutions, governments, they all have to connect more closely and more securely with their, their, the people in their ecosystem, whether that's students or alumni or faculty or employees or customers. And what's the center at the center of all that interaction is technology. And if you want to talk about trusted technology and delivering that to people, you have to start with identity. And that's what we're doing for all these organizations around the world. And that's what's kind of powering our results. Well, we had the CEO of Zscale we were talking to, and he's talking about how you're the passport, basically. You can't, you don't want your passport hacked. That'd be like the worst thing that could happen. That you are the passport for basically for the net. I mean, that's not just for a couple of companies. Right. I mean, you're just yeah, I, for hundreds of, for tens of millions of people. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a really important role we're playing, because if you think about, um, especially in the case of Zscaler, companies are moving away from the old world, which was 
they had a firewall around their network and everything inside was secure and every outside, everything outside was blocked. Now they're moving to this world that's called zero trust, which means they basically don't trust anything. They want to verify everything. And when you have to verify everything, you have to have this passport. You have to have this digital identity. And that's what we're providing. So for a lot of companies, we're turning a world that's uh, pretty daunting in terms of how you give this flexibility or this openness and making it secure and very simple to use. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the untrusted world and that a lot of us, you know, people, I mean, particularly my age, we're, we're in the untrusted zone, but we don't even know it. I mean, do you school people when I pick up Okta? Do they tell me how to use it best or I protect it the moment I, I, I'm covered? I think that one of the um, things powering our growth, too, is that more and more uh, technology leaders and, and people in the security industry and customers and users are understanding the importance of identity. So they're going from a world where they were, they were thinking about cloud computing, they were thinking about maybe firewalls and VPNs, and now they're thinking about identity as being the central platform mm -hmm. to really embrace the cloud, uh, create a great digital experience for customers, and also keep it all secure. So it's, it's that mindset and that um, consciousness in the market of the, of the importance of identity as a platform that is really leading, uh, leading people to come to Okta and driving our results. You know, I saw, uh, I was thinking of you guys when we were out in San Francisco and you got your beautiful Okta Tower right there. And I was thinking, you don't have a real problem if we have tariffs on Canada or Mexico or China. I mean, you really, you're a secular growth story that doesn't seem to be impacted by what we're being buffeted by right now, are you? Well, we, it's interesting. We, um, our business is, uh, it's, it's global, of course, um, not, not as much exposure to China as other companies have. But in an indirect way, we're helping companies of every organization across the entire world be successful with their businesses as well. So we do think about powering business globally. So it's in everyone's interest, I think, to have um, you know, as much free trade, as much economic commerce as possible. So, um, you know, it, indirectly, it, we benefit from that. So we have, we have a close eye on that as well. Well, congratulations. Just a monster good quarter. I was hoping for it. You gave it to us. Todd McKinnon, CEO and co-founder of Okta. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Guys, when a stock goes up big on a day like today, what do you think it does when the market's really great? Yeah, you know. Mad Money's back there today. love him. Why does the president think it's okay to roll out a new trade policy with Mexico, stopping them with ever-escalating tariffs via tweet, no less? Well, it's because he genuinely believes the tariffs are paid for by the other country and not by the American people. Look, you know I've been generally a supporter of Trump's trade war, probably one of the most adamant ones. I think protectionism gets a real bad rap in the press, and it's a mistake to be dogmatic about free trade. It makes sense to stand up against other countries that are devastating American workers by gaming the system. But hitting Mexico with tariffs to coerce them into policing the border? Sorry, that's a, that's a mistake. It's a huge mistake. As much as the president may dislike illegal immigration, we did $671 billion in trade with Mexico last year. They buy $299 billion of our products. Mexico is the best trading partner we could ask for. And now Trump wants to sacrifice that because Congress won't build him a wall? 
Look, a trade war with China is one, of the, is one thing, okay? The Chinese government encourages all sorts of predatory practices, downright subsidizing some industries to drive American competitors out of business. We have to stand our ground against this country's existential threat to our very being and hegemony. That's been my position now literally for 19 years. But Mexico? Man, oh, man, Mexico plays by the rules on trade. Maybe you think, as I do, that the rules have been badly written. That's a common complaint with NAFTA. Guess what? When President Trump asked Mexico to make changes for New Deal, the USMCA, basically a revised version of NAFTA that's more in our favor, Mexico didn't fight us. They gave Trump what he wanted. They were willing to cooperate. They, more than any other country in the world, have signed on for Trump's tariff policies. And for that thing, get kicked in the teeth via, via tweet. Slapping tariffs in Mexico now, right as Congress is debating Trump's new North America trade deal, which, again, I think is terrific. It's like shooting prisoners of war. Nobody's going to make deals with the United States if we negotiate a new treaty with Mexico and then tear it to pieces within months. Let me tell you what I'm hearing from business leaders here, okay? The ones I talk to every day. People who are out, they, they, who know my positions on tariffs. They know that I'm in favor of the trade war. They're saying this Mexican tariff gambit is insane. Yeah, insane, like crazy, like nuts. You don't start a trade war with your friends. You don't give them an arbitrary date that will make their leaders look like pawns and stooges of our government, of our government's own capricious nature. I get that the president's frustrated because Congress won't pay for the wall, but you got to play with the hand you've been given, not break the hands of one of your closest allies. Again, I've endorsed the president's tariffs almost to a fault. I'm one of the few people in the media or even in the administration who thinks that cracking down on China is a great idea because I saw firsthand what the Chinese Communist Party can do to an industry. My father used to source gift wrap from a bunch of American mills, but China destroyed all the mills he worked for to the point where he had no choice but to work with the Chinese. Granted, he ended up loving his Chinese suppliers, but it's easy to do business with companies that have state sponsorship. They can give you all sorts of great deals. So there's obviously a time and a place for tariffs. I believe in them. But Mexico, it feels like the White House just didn't really think this. I don't even know if they talked this over with people. Now, lots of executives are saying this whole thing might be a stunt, that, that it's inconceivable the president actually means to hit Mexico with these tariffs. Inconceivable? I don't think that word means what they think it means. Sure, it's possible Trump will walk it back. Right. You can walk back if the Mexican government just decides to cooperate, maybe put a thousand of their very tough Marine soldiers right there. I, I'm, as someone with business interests in Mexico, I play with an open hand. I certainly hope that's the case. But when you're investing, hope is not part of the equation. If you were hopeful about China last year and thinking that you didn't have to do anything, you've been crushed. Just look at the broken stocks of the companies that decide to whistle past the tariff graveyard instead of taking Trump seriously. You have to look at no new lowest retailers. There they are. You have to presume the president will actually go through with these tariffs. You don't want to get caught with your pants down when he does exactly what he told you to. With China, the executives that took some seriously have done great for their shareholders. Chuck Robbins and Cisco, Laura Albert at William Sonny. You see that stock today? Todd Vassos at Dollar General. How about that stock yesterday? They each came up with a plan to mitigate the damage from the tariffs, and I think CEOs now have to start doing the same thing with Mexico. It will be hard for some industries than others, especially the automakers, but the risk is now too huge to ignore. At the end of the day, it is a mistake to use commerce as a weapon against a government that's been happy to cooperate with us on trade because it had gotten too good a deal. Now it's willing to change. Right now, Trump's trying to get his revised version of NAFTA through Congress. Slapping a bunch of tariffs on Mexico out of nowhere, left field, doesn't help. A fit of peak tweet is unbecoming of our great country. We are all losers this time. Stick with Kramer. The 
most discouraging thing about this entire market is that we keep seeing companies report spectacular quarters and their stocks still get crushed. I mean, look at Zscaler. I mean, this is one I've liked for a while. It's a cloud-based security software play where the stock has been a huge winner since it came public last year. You know, some people think it's like the first of the unicorns. I think it's just a great, fast-growing company. Last night, Zscaler reported its fifth fantastic quarter in a row. They earned five cents a share. Uh, analysts, what were they looking for? Just a penny. Higher they expected sales. Get this, up 61% year over year. Managing a stronger than anticipated guidance for the next quarter. But apparently nothing. Nothing is good enough for this market because the stock plummeted 6% anyway. Just in the past two weeks, Zscaler has fallen from $80 down to 68 bucks. However, this is exactly the kind of sector of the growth story that should be able to bounce back once people stop panicking, which is what they keep doing. So let's take a close look at Jay Shordry. He's the chairman and CEO of Zscaler. Learn more about the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Shordry, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I've got to tell you, sir, uh, it is an honor to have you, and like everyone who said on the conference call, I want to say congratulations. I don't want to look at the stock. I want to look at how the company's doing, and your company's doing incredibly well. But it is the first time you're on, so I'd like you to describe to people yes. what Zscaler does before we drill down. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I built this company starting in 2008 with a simple mission. Let's make Internet and cloud a safe place to do business. I looked at the world changing. The way we work, how we work, where we work was changing. We could work anywhere on any device. The security that was being offered by many vendors was meant for protecting offices. I said, let's build security in the cloud as a cloud security platform, similar to what Salesforce did to take CRM to the cloud and what Workday did to take HCM to the cloud. We are doing the same kind of thing to disrupt old school legacy security. Well, I think it's obviously a huge market. People still think it's uh, there's still a lot of people, sir, who believe that it's late in the transition from on premise to the cloud. Your numbers indicate to me that we are still very much in, if not the beginning, then maybe the middle of when companies are adopting the cloud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cloud is being adopted at a fairly good pace. It has taken a while. But Office 365 adoption has changed a lot of things. All traffic of email is moving to the cloud. Workday, Salesforce, ServiceNow. Applications move to the cloud. That drives the adoption of security to the cloud. So we are seeing a significant momentum where customers with CIOs are asking for security to be done right. And in fact, I was talking to a CIO who said, I asked this question to my people. If something can be done in the cloud, you can't do it in the data center. If mm-hmm. security needs to be done in the cloud, why mm-hmm. are we buying these security hardware boxes? So I see the world rapidly changing. In fact, in the past couple of weeks, you've seen some vendors announcing earnings and acknowledging that security is moving to the cloud faster right. than they thought. Well, I, I do think that there are two numbers that struck me as being dis- well, one disconcerting, the other pretty amazing. You can reduce uh, spending by 30 to 50% on the network, which is pretty amazing. And at the same time, you process 40 billion transactions, but you block more than 100 million threats a day? I mean, who is doing yeah. these threats? 100 million. I mean, it must, yeah. be, it must be state-sponsored. It, a lot of it is. Uh, they range. Uh, some of the most scary ones we see are phishing attacks. 
So every day we see tens of thousands of phishing attacks. These are highly targeted. And people are, uh, people are <clears throat> tricked to click into these things. They click on something and their credentials get stolen. Then there are botnet attacks out mm -hmm. there. To really protect against all these things, you need to sit in line to inspect traffic going in and out. So Zscaler acts as a check post, almost like an international airport. We're inspecting everything that goes in and out of your device to make sure we're blocking the bad, we are protecting the good to have people do good business. That's mm -hmm. why the biggest of the big companies like GE and Siemens and United Airlines, they all depend upon Zscaler uh, to protect their enterprise. Uh, one last question. Uh, you do work with Okta, which is another company we're quite fond of. Tell me about that solution brief that you guys offer. Yes, so Okta is a wonderful company that's in the identity business. Mm -hmm. The job is to make sure the employees and the departments are properly listed for a given company. It's like a phone book. It's like a directory. Okay. So they're the source of information. Think of us as the airport. When I travel and leave the airport, they scan my passport. When they scan the passport, a call goes to the database of passports. Is Jay Chaudhry the right person? Right. He can he travel? That's what Okta does, but okay. we are in line who enforce policy. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, you know, look, I'm so glad you came on. Uh, I don't understand the uh, stocks behavior other than the fact that we got one terrible market right now. I want to thank you, Jay Shrodry, who is the Zscaler founder, chairman, CEO. Congratulations on the fastest growth of any quarter that we have. Jim, thank you. Absolutely. Man, Very excited back after to the be break. here. Thank you. Coming up, Kramer goes back to school. IBM is investing in the workplace of the future, and the CEO explains how big tech can make a big difference. Mentorship, internship, and a chance at a job. And you do that, and every child can succeed. It is time! Let's go to Ben in Georgia. Ben! What's up, Jim? My question's about Airmark, A-R-M-K. Did not like that last quarter. They're in the penalty box. We're going to skip that one. James in California. James. Hey. Um, give a shout-out to Buzzer and Ozzy. I was calling about CRC, California Resource Company. Stay Cup. away. It's a fossil fuel company that we don't so, so, like. So. We're recommending very few of those. George in Massachusetts. George. Uh, booyah, Jim. Booyah. The stock is Medifat. No, no, wait. Sell, no, sell, no, sell, no, sell, no, sell, sell. Planet Fitness, my friend. Mike in Massachusetts. Mike. Oh, Jim, uh, Annaly Capital Management. No, no, no. All they do is they issue stock all the time. They're not even doing sell, well. Sell, sell, sell. Okay, let's go to Dave in Texas. Dave. Howdy, Jimbo. How, How are you, you doing, buddy? I wanted to find out what you thought about Twilio and their secondary Oh, office. my God. The secondary was just a blowout. We bought some of the Charitable Trust. You can follow along at AxelWorldsPlus.com Club. Bye, 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 Jeff Lawson. Uh, Nasir in Pennsylvania. Nasir. Hey, Ben Nasir. Hey, Jim. Proud Action Force member here. Yes, uh, indeed. Thank you for inspiring me to invest. Uh, my stock today is MongoDB, symbol MDB. Open source database software is the bomb. This stock bye, won't bye, quit. Bye. I mean, what a good company. How about Steve, New Jersey? Steve. Hey, Jim. 
Uh, I know you're no longer endorsing oil stocks. However, you recommended it, uh, recommended MPC. I know. Can you believe how low that stock is? One of the reasons why I was so afraid to be able to recommend it. It yields more than 4%. It's the best run in the industry. And nobody cares. Nobody cares at all. And that's what's happened to the oil stocks and that. Ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. For years, we've heard about the skills gap, the idea that we don't have enough workers with the right skills to get the kinds of jobs that are being created. But you rarely hear about solutions to the skills gap for what's called the new collar economy. Solutions like P-TECH, Pathways in Technology Early College High Schools. These are public schools for high school and the first two years of college, where you can get an associate's degree in science, technology, engineering, and math. Get this, at no cost. Earlier today, we checked out the original P-TECH school in Brooklyn, which is a collaboration between IBM, New York City, oh yes, and New York State. So take a look. My name is Aaliyah Charles, and I'm a senior at Pathways in Technology Early College High School. I'm the student director of Girls Love STEM. This world really needs diversity. So like, why not bring girls in? The women are powerful. Women can shake up the world. You see people like Michelle Obama, Oprah Winfrey, billionaires. Like, why not have more women at the front lines doing, changing the world? Like, I'm all for a revolution, honestly. I am Rashid Farad Davis, the founding principal of Pathways in Technology Early College High School. P-TECH is a grades 9 through 14 model here in Central Brooklyn, and students generally come in at ages 13 and 14 into ninth grade. They have the opportunity to learn industry experience as early as year one with IBM mentors, job shadows, and actually visits to IBM locations. I'm David Dennis. I graduated from P-TECH in 2017 June. For me, I didn't know where to go. And then I found this place. It provided me opportunities that I can take advantage of and move forward. It literally gives everybody the chance to accomplish your dream in technology. The IBM relationship is multi-leveled. It's not the opportunity for industry to write a check and say thank you for this, but it's really sharing the intellectual capital. It's really giving inspiration and aspiration to students. My name is Janielle Richards. I graduated from P-TECH in 2016. I now am a full-time IBMer. Um, yeah, I work at IBM. P-TECH is really sort of reigniting a person's faith in themselves. What would happen if you give this person an opportunity? What would happen if you really invest in a community? That is sort of a domino effect because it allows that person, that young person, to really think, what if I really make it out of this neighborhood? Especially for like young black children. Like, they've been seeing all their lives and they could only be like only a couple of things like football or basketball players or singers. And for people to be like, hey, you could be in tech too. You could be the next Steve Jobs. We are preparing students for jobs and careers that are not even invented yet. I have a lot of dream jobs. Like, nothing is off the limits to me. Great story. You know, you also got a chance to sit down with Ginny Rometty, the chairman and CEO of IBM, who is the inspiration for P-Tech. Check this out. Ginny, you run a great American company, but sometimes I feel that what I see here may be your greatest legacy. Tell me about it. Ah, well, we're, we are sitting together in something called a Pathway to Technology Early College High School, PTEC, a school in Brooklyn. 
and this is a school that really does serve um, underserved kids here. And you were one of the folks that early on saw this. And this is an example of a new model of education. And uh, it's, as I said, called P-TECH. And just think of it as a way for this new era that kids that not necessarily have a college degree, in fact, it's a point I'm most worried about, that in the digital era, not everyone can have a college degree in the speed that this era is going to move to be successful. So can they get a job? And this is a model of a six-year high school with a community college. So in other words, if you come here, you're going to be on a fast track versus no track. That's right. That's right. In fact, it's an interesting formula. Now, we've been at it seven years, so we have got really a great track record. I think it's the most ambitious and most successful program of its kind in the world. We're up to 13 countries, 200 schools, a pipeline of two, 125,000 kids coming through. And I actually think we're going to hit millions. And we can talk a little bit about how that's going to happen in a not so distant future. But the whole model is that in six years or less, you get your high school degree and an associate's degree. But the secret formula is it's a curriculum that's aligned to what industry needs, mentorship, internship, and a chance at a job. And you do that, and every child can succeed. The kinds of jobs you're talking about is a term that you've invented that I now use, the new collar. Yes. What is a new collar employee? Yes. Well, we, we really came up with a new term, new collar, meaning not white collar, not blue collar. It's about nothing negative or positive. It meant a new type of job that lives at the intersection of technology and business, and that you did not necessarily have to have a degree, a four-year degree. Right. And it was a different paradigm that, Jim, I think is going to be needed to make this an inclusive era. It is one of the things I worry the most. Uh, we build these technologies, so I think we have a responsibility. You know, people often talk about trust. That's privacy and security. But we have a responsibility to prepare society for these technologies. And even Department of Labor says every job is going to be impacted. I've always said that 100% of jobs will change due to AI. So what do you do? In this new kind of job, in our company, it would be cloud, cyber. There are many jobs. So the paradigm in the way you should think different is skills, not just degrees or diplomas. So if you have the right skill, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a four-year degree. And then multiple pathways to a new job have to be there, not just the traditional go to college. It, it, now, many kids will, and we'll right, come back to that. Right. But you can have a great job. You know, people say um, you can't be something you can't see. And we want them to see that there is a way to make a great living and a great job. Now, I think it's important to point out, and I, you've given me the privilege of, of uh, being with some of your graduates, that this is not just for show, in no. the sense that you have made some great hires from this program yourself. Oh, oh, this is, look, this is important. 15% um, of our hiring in the United States last year was what we called New Collar. 15%, and we hire thousands and thousands. And these are great kids, and by the way, they're often in the underserved parts of the country, or in the U.S., I would say, it's places technology left behind, not the two coasts, right? So whether it's uh, Missouri, Louisiana, right. et cetera. And these kids are extremely, you, you met some several Yo, years ago. Oh, they were sensational. You, you were kind enough to kind of catch on to this. <laughs> no, I just well, like this program. Wait, you, it's, might, this is our borough, and you've I, done I know so it's much your borough, good stuff. But some of the ones you, uh, that you interviewed at that time, <laughs> so as an example, uh, Gabe, in, a great one you interviewed, graduated in less than six years. He, by the way, just promoted uh, in the cloud area. Um, you met, let's see, Radcliffe. Yes. Uh, he came from, immigrated from Jamaica. And this happened with a lot of kids. What he did is he works for us. Uh, he's a marketing analyst, 
But any day now he's getting his four-year degree. He's gone back to school. So it's an interesting thing we've watched. From this school here in Brooklyn, we've hired 20% of the kids that have graduated. <sighs> Believe great. it or not. It's the first other, ones. Oh, by the way, they're all first-generation right. graduates. Right. And the other 80, many have gone on to their four-year degree. So here, what we started out was a way to pull them right into the workforce. They're like, hey, I can be a lot more than this. Right. And they've gone on. Something else that you've done that I think is maybe is because of your legacy, again, and your gender. Women. Women have been left behind. Yes. And you're trying to change that. Yes. So what, what we did on this idea about making this an inclusive era, because, as again, I said, I think mm -hmm. it's one of the most... Um, important things that has to be healed in this digital era. It's got to be inclusive so that no matter what part of society, you can find a way into a good job here. So one is this new model of education that you're seeing here. We call it P-TECH, scaling like crazy. But the second one is reskilling, and the third is returnships. Yeah, I want to talk, in particular, I mean, the one on women you're mentioning, Returnship in particular started with women who'd left the workforce, maybe a family reason. Mm -hmm. and it, it, by the way, it's not just women, but it was predominantly. Right. We're afraid to come back in. We started a returnship program that said, look, we'll, we'll run this to get your skills. Just You're afraid you're, you're out of date. We'll run from one day to four months. Whenever mm -hmm. you're ready, go back. To, go back. We've had women stay one day, some the whole four months. Don't have to even work at IBM. Go back. And they just build their confidence again and come back into the workforce. Because that's one of the biggest issues of pipeline of women is they leave for a reason is to pull them back in they're always more critical of their own skills than anyone else's i know that you have uh, brought together what i regard as a true coalition in an era where there is so much d d so many divisive issues uh unions you're in fine you're looking for the best teachers of course obviously uh i, I countries other businesses, universities, how are you able to pull together a coalition at a time when we pretty much think in this country that you can't do one anymore? Yeah, this has been, I think, some really great lessons learned. One of my biggest one is that this is about a new model of education, but it's a private-public partnership. And it doesn't matter whether this is a union school, a charter school, a public school, it doesn't matter. This is done with the educators, mm -hmm. not to the educators. And we have found around the world, regardless of country, all these educators and teachers want these kids to succeed. Then you give the kids those tools. I have, without exception, every kid has been able to succeed. And so every kid, every kid, a scale model, a scale model. Well, we're at 125,000 coming through, and we're not the only ones that hire them. So what we've been able to do is, in the U.S., it's 500 other companies. We offer our employees to do mentors. We all take on interns, and then you give them a chance at a job. If you, and that is night and day. Okay, so you've got uh, CEOs watching the show right now. And they're saying, I haven't stepped up. What do they do to step up? Because you are a lead by example person, but I know you don't want to leave any of them behind if they're thinking, well, this might be a program for me. Yes, just contact us. Because the issue is most, most um, of programs, everyone's got a little program or right. so, right. they don't scale. The other thing you traditionally hear is people offer online credentials. Mm -hmm. That's one thing, but this is a curriculum. So this actually prepares you with the soft skills. You know, we're in this school, President Obama had joined us here a couple years ago, actually with the governor, the president, uh, we had the mayor here. And they're like, where's a computer lab? I said, no, 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 you don't understand. We teach them the soft skills as much as we do any hard skills, right? And so this is aligning supply and demand. So any of my colleagues, I say there's two things, and your employees love to do this. You know, I said I was in France, and we just mm -hmm. launched. France was the 13th country. And it's uh, BNP Paribas, Airbus, uh, L'Oreal, ourselves. Uh, oh, my goodness, there's a long list of right, companies right. joining us. The, 
what the principals of those schools have said to me, again, underserved, these are kids from poverty, no testing. They said these kids never would have a chance they're at not, a job. They're not eliminated oh, from these the are, beginning, which no, is what happens. Yes, this is not a by-selection right. crowd, right? And the graduation rate is 400 times better than the on-time community college. So they, they look and they see that they have a chance here um, to do something. And so that has really made a big difference. So all these companies, so I say to my colleagues, contact us. We're happy to put you in a network to do this. Right. The second thing they can do, though, is also change your hiring to accept these new collar kids. Because we've done a lot of studies of how when we put out our job requirements, we way overqualify what we need for many of these jobs. It's particularly true in cybersecurity, cloud. You can get kids in this new collar area. And so adjust your requisitions and you'll pull more of society in. All right, now I, told, I know they're giving me a wrap, but I gotta ask this. Uh, what do you say to people where they say, you know what? This is a waste of time. We should be building shareholder wealth, buying back stock. Why is Ginny Rometty spending time on this? Yeah. It's not what IBM shareholders want. What do we say to them? Oh, listen, I, I wholeheartedly disagree. This is... This work, yes, it's important for social responsibility or corporate social responsibility, but this is all about economic responsibility. I need that workforce for my company, and I need society to want these technologies and not be divided over them. So it is both supply and demand, and it is good for business. And these are great employees, great employees, some of the most loyal and dedicated you'll ever have. Well, at a tough time and tough days in the market, I'm going to leave it at that because that is just a message of hope. That's Ginny Rometty. She's IBM's chairman, president, and CEO doing well, doing great, doing what we should be doing. All right, we're getting oversold. That means you need to actually find some things to buy. That's what we're trying to do. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.